But I watched the new Christmas, maybe it's not new. I watched a 30 minute Christmas special of Sean the Sheep, the creators of Wallace Wallace and Gromit. And it's it's essentially a silent movie. There's no dialogue. It's just like little sheep sounds and some little babbling stuff. And you just kind of got to watch the plot happen and pay attention because there's you can't look at your phone and know what's going on. But anyway, the main farmer in the movie makes it starts with him like brewing some sort of liquid. And there's a joke that he put too much salt in because he was watching the video and the video glitched. And it turns into what looks like a beer, like a fizzy beer. And he's going to go to this market and sell it. But the whole time I was like, is this beer? And so I was trying to look up the plot of this Sean the Sheep Christmas movie. And some of the plot said it's a fizzy drink, a punch, or a beer, or an ale. And at the end of the movie, all of the sheep drink the fizzy drink. And then their little hats blow up and then they all make a funny face and then they burp and they do all this funny like character work and I never found out if it was supposed to be a beer or what it was speaking of bubbles not not only speaking of bubbles but speaking of overthinking it but it was a plot point like the whole thing is this guy's like going to a market to sell this drink I was like is he selling beer I guess it doesn't matter does it that's what I was going to ask is depending on what he's selling would it change your thoughts on the plot like if it turns out this guy's making Dr. Shasta in his tub. I'm, I'm not allowed to say name brands, I guess. Oh, sure. Unless uh, we get sponsored. <laughs> By Shasta, the By 25 Shasta. cent Walmart soda machine soda. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. No, I guess it's implied it's beer because the way that the sheep all took a sip of it at the end and they had like a very visceral reaction. But you, but the way that the farmer made the, the drink at the beginning with salt which is why it tasted bad. Anywho. Rookie mistake. I've never seen Curse the Were-Rabbit, but I've seen many of the shorts. I think Ardman is great. I like a lot of their stuff. Is, what do you think of Were-Rabbit? Um, it's good. I saw it in theaters in seventh grade with my crush. Actually, it was a group of us, but my crush was there. And I think it was the first time I ever saw a movie with a boy. Multiple boys and multiple girls, but you know. You were there with your group of crushes, just living the life? Yeah, he definitely did not like me back. No one liked me back in middle school, but I remember being really excited to see that movie. Nikki, I'm getting the vibe you have some PTSD from that. Uh, perhaps, perhaps some residual things. But like uh, background yeah, it's a great radiation? Movie. Yeah. I just start you. sobbing. Suburban Illinois people for giving us all complexes. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> yeah, fuck you guys. Speaking of fucking you guys, welcome to Splatterbrands. We're your number four favorite podcast dedicated to all things horror, terror, freaky, and frightening. You can find us on the internet uh, on Instagram at Splatterbrands Podcast. Email us at brainsplatter at gmail.com. And we're on Facebook if you want to interact with your dad while talking to us at Splatterbrands Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Hi, I'm Alex. I'm one of your hosts. Say hi, Brad. Hey, Brad. Uh, say hey, Brad, Nikki. Hey, Brad, Nikki. Say hey, Brad, Nikki, Karen. Hello. Well, it's well sport. Thanks a lot. What have you guys been up to? Apart from Wallace and Gromit and Sean the Sheep. I did a really fun horror thing 
um, a couple weekends ago with my good friend, Red. We went and saw Black Christmas, the original, at Facets. And um, Lynn Griffin, who plays Claire in the original, was there. And she did a little Q&A afterwards. And then I bought one of her Christmas ornaments that she signed. And it's fucking awesome. And Red had never seen the original Black Christmas before. So it was also a treat to get her to see it for the first time. But the moment in the film where the sergeant in the police station is on the phone and he says, you have to leave the house. The call's coming from inside the house. She was legit taking a sip of her drink and did a full-on spit take in that moment because she's never seen this movie and we neither of us could stop laughing. It was absolutely amazing. And then we got to tell Claire about said spit take right afterwards when we bought ornaments from her, which was awesome. So, was the spit take was because she was like shook, right? Like because it was such yeah. a scary moment. Okay, <laughs> no, because oh. because that was the scene, the like where the whole thing originated. And I love that you see also the inside of a phone operator room, and there's just wires and like pipes and shit everywhere, and it just looks like. He's looking at the plumbing of a building, but they're just trying to yes. figure, like, trace a call physically. Yes. I fucking love that movie. And it was really cool to see it on the big screen and then also, like, have a Q&A afterwards. And, yeah, it was really fucking rad. I have a, speaking of seeing horror movies that are kind of replaying theaters, my bone to pick with uh, Halloween time movies at Logan Theater, they only play at like 10 p.m. and after and there's like no consideration for like us like 2 p.m. on a Saturday crowds like it, I find it really hard to be able to re-watch some of those classics at least at Logan perhaps I should be exploring other theaters at like a reasonable hour but I guess when you're competing with like movies that need to make money that are newly released I get it but mm. how many people were at facets did, did your theater fill up it was sold out, fully sold out. I mean, that place is dinky, but it's really cool, and I, I'm glad to see it's still around. Even like, yeah. I, I assume the last few years in the pandemic might have done bad things to that place or got it shut down. No, it was a really great turnout. Yeah, it was fully sold out. It was awesome. Have either of you been there? No. It's like, it's like the coolest basement theater you can imagine, but it's a regular movie theater. It's really small, but it's pretty cool. It's like a hallway where they have a video store, which is awesome. And then uh, you, you buy your tickets at a counter, you walk into the back. And I don't know, prob- how many people do you think can seat in that? Like 50 to 75, maybe? Yeah, max. I don't think 75 feels like too much. I think 50. Yeah, it's small, but it it's great. Karen, I don't know if you saw my message in, um, sorry, I'm just completely shifting topics here, but I don't know if you saw my message the other day, uh, but we started watching Love Has Won on HBO. Have you heard of that? It's uh, super up your alley because it's a uh, true crime documentary about a cult. And uh, it's this lady that called, her name was like Amy something. I can't remember what her last name was, but she claimed to be Mother God and uh, a massive following. And ended up dying, and police found her body wrapped in Christmas lights, like, six months later. Like, her, like, cultist followers, like, wrapped her body. And this is, like, the very, like, two, first two seconds of the thing. They like, wrapped her body in Christmas lights and, like, 
her bed and it's like yeah she'll be back soon like she'll like re-enter her body and they actually show it and it's so fucking creepy the the image of like her like she's covered in sheets except for like her eyes and like that image of like her face is like burned into my brain check it out i've heard three different people have told me about this documentary and they have all spoiled every single thing about it they're like you should watch this and tell me about a thing related to Robin Williams, a thing related to meth <laughs> and like all of this shit. And I'm going to watch it, but I'm like, everyone is spoiling this GD and you didn't, I'm not calling you out, but it's like the hot topic is this documentary right now. We, we haven't finished the first episode yet because, uh, baby, but, um, eh, we want to watch it all. It's the first episode itself is a roller fucking roller coaster. So definitely check it out. I'm in on another note. I do plan to see the new Miyazaki film, The Boy and the Heron, on Looks Wednesday. Awesome. So I'm really excited about that. Alex, did you see it already? It came out a couple days no, ago. No, we had friends uh, make plans with us to see it on Saturday. I still have to get tickets, but I cannot wait. It looks fantastic. Yeah. Looks really It'll good. be nice to see something just like cozy and that will have like perhaps some dark, but uh, not too dark. Uh, drama and conflict it'll just nice to feel cozy going into a movie instead of like how freaked am i gonna be <laughs> but speaking of japan i'm very excited because uh speaking of japan and cozy things let me tell you about how excited i am to talk to all of you about this week's movie i will have no pretense up front and tell you that i loved this movie and we're gonna talk about godzilla minus one karen what'd you think of godzilla minus one I loved this movie. It was everything I could ever want out of a Godzilla film. Um, honestly, it as soon as I got home from seeing it, I watched Godzilla 2014 just to like kind of relive those same feelings of how I felt about Godzilla minus one. Brad, Nikki. let's go, Nikki. Oh. Brad, Brad and I are biased because we've talked about Godzilla enough. So I'm just trying to hold us back for like a second. Um, I also really loved it. I will say I didn't even know this was out. I didn't know the full name of the movie. My buddy Jalil, who uh, he works on movies, he's one of my horror watching buddies when um, he's in town. And he was like, do you want to go see the new Godzilla? I said, great. I didn't realize it was part of a Japanese reboot of the franchise. So I kind of thought when the movie started, uh, we were just going to start in the 40s and then we we're going to go to like present day us based on just how we've been with the other movies so it was very pleasantly surprised that we are staying in that time and place um i cried i think two or three times jalil also cried and we just kind of looked at each other it was like Bleh. um it was a wonderful like full cinematic experience and that's my initial thoughts may the record show that brad and alex are just spider-man <laughs> Pointing at each other because they have, they're gonna gush. <laughs> we had a, a very brief conversation about it, so I'm like aware, and uh, just because I'm already talking, uh, I will be really subtle about this and say this was my fucking movie of the fucking year. How the fuck was it so goddamn good? Yeah. Holy shit! I left that movie and I was like, I expected a a Shin Godzilla or something like. I also expected it to jump forward in time. I didn't know about anything about the details. I also didn't know whether or not it would be a sequel to Shin Godzilla, which it was not. And I loved that movie for totally different reasons. 
I didn't expect it to be a reboot of the original. Um, and I'm going to go absolutely full spoilers into this episode to talk about how goddamn good this movie is. Go see this movie in a theater if you can. It is my second favorite Godzilla movie after the original because it feels like blasphemy not to say it, but it is probably the easiest one to watch. It's so fucking good. Can I just say, I just need to interject because this this kind of, I just want to just drive home how fucking good this movie was. So I went on a Saturday afternoon at 1210 and the theater wasn't packed, but it was pretty full. And I had an entire row that was basically a kid's birthday party. And these kids were in front of me at the uh, concession counter. So they weren't like super ratty. They're actually very well behaved. And, but one, one, but several of them were six, and then they kind of went up in age from there, and then there were, like, pockets of parents and older cousins. They took up the entire row behind me. And not a fucking peep did these kids make during this film that was fully subtitled, mind you. They were just silent until the very end parts. And then they had a couple of really fucking great one-liners that you would expect to come out of a six-year-old that I could not stop laughing about. That's how good this movie is. That an entire, like, between six and, like, 14, not a goddamn peep in a subtitled film. That's, I just, I just need to push that point home because I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I'll piggyback off that and saying, uh, it really exceeded like every expectation I had for it. Um, it's like a total sort of, I don't know. If you're not a fan of Godzilla, I feel like you sh- should still go see it because it's a movie that uses Godzilla sort of as a device to move the story, to move characters forward. Um, I, yeah, like you said, I, I cried. I think at the end I, I texted Carl cause I went and saw it alone. I said, I'm on my way home. I just want to hug you and Marty so much. <laughs> Here's where we're going to go into the full spoilers of the entire plot of this movie. I will give a brief synopsis of it. That isn't a spoiler, and then I'll tag it again. Uh, a fighter pilot in the 1940s in Japan, right at the end of World War II, lands his plane on an island, citing mechanical failure, and he is accused of being a coward, for he's a kamikaze pilot. Uh, and the, this company that's supposed to be repairing planes, uh, the, again, the war is basically over, um, and Japan has lost, uh, and they get attacked by a very small Godzilla. Um, most of it's a character study about this fighter pilot and PTSD. Every character is fleshed out, and that's unusual for a Toho movie. I loved it. Yeah, I think it's unusual for Godzilla movies in general. Like it's been a long time since you've since there's been a Godzilla movie made. Where, like you kind of know the motivations behind like every character and want to see all these characters succeed, and conversely, want to see Godzilla fail. Because you do by the end of it, um, yeah. It, I don't know what to say. Before this one, I think 2014 is my favorite. Just be mostly just because of the environment that I saw it in. Like it was the first time that I was watching a Godzilla movie in theaters for one, but for two, it really sort of like presented what I pictured Godzilla movies when I was younger. Like you, when you kind of look at it, like oh, they're giant monsters fighting. 2014 like took that and said here it is more realistic and it like blew me away this one like blows that out of the water even though there's not i don't know if this is kind of a spoiler there's not a second monster it's just a godzilla like the original godzilla movie um 
even though there wasn't that sort of like climactic like ho- not hollywood but like kaiju battle type situation going on it still is far and away the best godzilla movie yeah brad i liked what you said about godzilla kind of being a device to move the character development of all of the other characters we have um because i think i didn't think of it like that but that's so very true and in a way where we still get just as much godzilla monster movie as we want while also forming like really deep bonds with our characters um and i i know i kind of mentioned this in my feelings about it but it really did just feel like a a full-bodied movie um so our main character the kamikaze pilot to what alex said comes back home and he meets this woman who had basically found a baby who had been abandoned so that they kind of start this weird little family together and they're living together and there's kind of a developed love story through that and this sense of building family and um our main character i i just want to mispronounce his name koichi uh anyway he gets a job um while he is home and he is working with this small crew of other men who basically go to detonate missiles in the ocean and they form their own little pseudo brotherhood. And basically what I really loved about this movie is you kind of have like the familial love story that is sweet, but there's also this like love in brotherhood and like the relationships between men and bond and friendship. And that's actually what made me, cry and like the most welled up during this movie is that sense of these men returning from war these survivors of war who carry a tremendous amount of like ptsd of guilt like survivor's guilt and to see like the relationships they form to kind of come together uh i thought was just like such a special part of this movie um without making it like too much of a a drama i think it also gives this perspective that I know I've never really seen about how like the aftermath of World War II for the Japanese. Like, you don't really see that a lot when it comes to any type of film set in the 40s and post-World War II. Um, and I, it's, I think that's a huge plus for this movie as well because it, it feels like it gives a perspective that let's be real, the American public school system is not giving to kids and so getting to kind of understand what it was like in Japan in the aftermath, though held within the context of a creature feature, basically, is something that really drew me into it, that I was I was honestly really happy when it didn't jump forward. I was actually really hoping it wouldn't. And so when it didn't, I was like, fuck yeah, like this is, this is per- perfection. And it's just, it was so well done. So well done. It is my, it is now my, favorite anti-war movie when before that was full metal jacket so you can see what we're working with here uh and it is surprising to me how incredibly uh not subtle it was about its themes and i thought it was a strength not a weakness that they told the audience exactly what they were thinking about some of the things that happened obviously in war the war crimes were committed on all sides um but there's a bit of an overreaction that happened uh, with america bombing japan and it's nice to see movies deal with that um, the last one that I've seen, if you ever want your day completely ruined, speaking of Miyazaki, is Grave of the Fireflies. But this movie, you're talking about like the bonds of the characters. I think my favorite part about the romantic relationship is um, 
I don't remember the context in which they met each other, but she's just like out at the market. Uh, and yeah, he, ha- he like came up to him and like handed him this baby and just mm-hmm. kind of, or she left this baby and he something. It, she, yes. Brad she, she, was being, she was, she stole something. So people are chasing her. Yeah. So she was, you know, obviously people in desperate situations. So, um, I'm really, I have the characters' names up in front of me, and I am embarrassed to try to pronounce them. So forgive me, so I will just refer to her as romantic interest, but she is a real character with real motivations and has, a, has depth. So she hands him this baby, and she, she disappears, uh, and he stays with the baby. He doesn't abandon the baby and walk away, and she comes back. But then their relationship is maintained as um, loving but platonic. Like, it's not like we're seeing them, like, will they, won't they? It's like a... She's in a situation where it turns out that baby wasn't even her baby, which in the 40s, probably not an easy thing for a woman to deal with. They'd be like, why are you taking care of somebody else's child? And for him to be living with her outside of wedlock with a child that's not either of theirs is just like a really messed up situation for a world that's not open to that kind of thing. There is a romance that develops, but it develops. It's not just because of their situation, they're in love, they work at it. He realizes that he really cares about her when he starts, when she decides to try to go to work because she thinks he's not interested. And also, um, kind of to sidestep, it's funny you bring up an, a Miyazaki film again. Um, Wikipedia does say, it had an interesting uh, statement in just kind of its overview of Godzilla Minus One saying that um, this script was written over the course of three years with the influence of the original 1954 Godzilla, as well as Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah from 2001. I also said Jaws, which totally checks out because I thought of Jaws, and it said Miyazaki. So, and uh, just to rewind, the Jaws element is for the men that he works with post-war on the like missile detonation crew. Yeah, this film gets into his psyche and everything he does is sort of in regret of the fact that he lived. One one of his neighbors sees him and knows that he's a kamikaze pilot. She doesn't say, like, welcome home, you survived the war. She says, what have you done? Like, basically, you lost us the war by not killing yourself. It's really, really heart-wrenching. And, like, people mean it in this movie when they say things like that. And you have to deal with his, his psyche being alive. He has survivor's guilt and he's been through multiple horrible things. And so he takes a job as somebody who cleans up mines in the water, which is a extraordinary, a well-paying job because chances of him living are very slim. But man, that crew of people, it was the most Jaws thing I've seen in a movie without just being an annoying homage. And the, the captain is my favorite character in the movie that isn't the main characters. He was the most anime-ass, just like comic relief, and he delivers my favorite line in the movie. Which was? Which was, yeah. Um, so they have a younger gentleman on their boat as well, and he did not go to war because he was younger, and he keeps talking about how badly he wants to be a soldier. And toward the end of the movie, when the, the plot develops and the uh, the independent group decides they figure out how they can take out Godzilla, he is not allowed on the boat. And he's chasing them about how you never let me see combat, and then the ship captain guy turns around and yells in his face, um, uh, it's... Uh, I don't remember the exact line, but he says something about it's a good, like, it's a positive thing to not have seen war. It's like it's an exciting thing to not have seen war, like a good thing. I don't remember the exact wordage, so if any of you remember that, he just yells in this kid's face, like, be proud you weren't at war. That's a good thing. 
And he also said something about like how they're build or they're building his future for him right now, or they need him to stay behind to like build a future, which was like a really profound thing to say. Yeah, this movie is about a guy who thinks that he needs to sacrifice himself to prove his worth. And it's multiple characters that believe that eventually coming around to um, wanting to be alive. I want to talk about some of the themes that we've kind of touched on um, nice. real quick. We can definitely get into some more um, very heavy spoiler specific things with the movie, but um, Godzilla has a long history of representing different things. Um, originally, he was a. Uh, um, nuclear weapons and Dr. Sarazawa had to invent the oxygen destroyer, which was like a little device that would uh, kill him. Uh, and Dr. Sarazawa was very much a uh, an analog for uh, Oppenheimer. So he created this really destructive weapon and didn't want to use it, despite it being used for good for like some force that would destroy Japan. Um, so he was very torn up in the original movie about it. In this one, um, actually, I'll jump back to the one that Nikki mentioned actually. Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah. I think it's called All Monsters Attack or something like that is the, the subtitle. We just call it GMK in the in the biz, you know. Um, but in that, Godzilla is literally a uh, reincarnation of angry souls that died during World War II and is like taking out revenge on Japan, which is an interesting twist. So he's like a bad guy. And King Ghidorah, who's typically a villain, is a good guy in this, which is weird. But uh, in this movie, in Godzilla Minus One, he's very obviously just a representative or uh, a metaphor for war and trauma around that. It's like every time the main character Koichi is in a stable point in his life, Godzilla pops up again. And it's almost like he has a vendetta like personally against Koichi. Um, and this kind of, let me know if we don't want to get down this rabbit hole a little bit, but it kind of, the, the characters kind of coming together and coming up with a plan. I love that. I love the, the doctor character. I can't remember his name. Um, his plan is really great and i love that it's just all these people kind of like banding together saying we can't rely on the government to do this this movie unfortunately has two really weird vocal minorities talking about it online kind of pushing their own weird narrative i won't i won't talk about one just yet because it's a really weird anti-woke thing which is fucking stupid uh, but there's another vocal minority that's kind of like the opposite way saying they hate this movie because it's like glorifying uh, Japanese nationalism because the people pull together to defeat Godzilla. And that's just so, I hate that so much because Did it's you not watch the movie. I know it's just like these desperate people saying the government aren't helping us. We need to defend ourselves or what happened in the war will be nothing comparatively. So it's so weird. And it's such a shame that like, there's these vocal minorities that are talking about this shit, but it is blatantly just, anti-nationalist because they even make fun of the U.S. and Russia for not wanting to intervene. Yeah. Like, so it's not just the Japanese government. They're just talking about warfare in general as, as sort of being this negative thing. So that's, it's not, and I, I, go on. It's, I don't know, it's just a gross misinterpretation. That's yeah. not even like, I, I don't know, man. It, it's just, it, it's the opposite of what the movie is. And that's not, that's clear. I don't know how that could be misinterpreted unless you did it intentionally. And I, I bring that up because, like I said, very obviously Godzilla is like a representation of war and dealing with that. And it's as another layer to the movie that these people, these veterans that are of the war are coming together to defeat Godzilla once and for all. But the government won't help them very much like how veterans, I don't know about other countries, but very much in the U.S., come home from serving in wars and then are 
kind of just kicked to the curb by the government. Like it's very, it's another like sort of like parallel you can draw to this movie in that these veterans are the country as a whole, but these veterans are facing a very real problem that's coming for them. And the government's like, oh, our hands are tied. You guys got to deal with it. Very sad. Also, I don't know if this is, um, we can save this for later, but this is a journey I very much want to go on. And Brad, you alluded to it. Um, when Jalil and I left the movie, we were talking about, uh, at least in the handful of Godzilla movies we have each seen, and Brad and Alex, I know you have a swath more, well, Brad for sure, a swath more viewing experience of Godzilla than us. But just the representation of Godzilla, um, at least in this case and in the original Japanese movie as a villain and kind of how he's glorified as a hero in the United States versions. But also I was reading an article about just throughout time, like even in Japanese versions where other monsters are brought in, just kind of the transition of Godzilla from villain to hero. Um, and the article ultimately ends with him being viewed as an anti-hero, but I think to your point, Godzilla being used almost as like a provocative measure to like Koichi's specific experience is a really interesting use of him as a character, Godzilla as a character in this iteration. Um, so I don't know if we want to do like that whole thing right now, if that gets us, because I do kind of want to talk about this Godzilla versus Godzilla throughout time but yeah we can we can talk about this godzilla versus godzilla throughout time because it it's sort of not sad but like like a disappointing history um perfect example like you look at like the marvel movies at least the early ones i say early but like everything leading up to 2019 there was a plan in place and there was somebody kind of at the helm saying this movie is going to happen. It's going to kind of lead into this. We're going to introduce this. It's going to lead into this. Things are connected here. We have we know what we want to do with our movies. They just need to be successful for us to make that. The Godzilla movies really didn't do that. They kind of one happened like, oh, that was a success. Let's make another one. Oh, that was a success. Then we'll make another one. Oh, that wasn't as good. What happened in the first one that was good? Oh, we'll do that again. So they kind of recycle ideas. And they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Like there are all kinds of really interesting stories that they were wanting to tell. But like the studio would come in and say, hey, uh, that character wasn't popular three movies ago. So fuck it. Use King Ghidorah again. And then like they did that so often that the movies just like they, they, they made Godzilla a, like a hero character because it was trending well with kids. They kind of leaned into that a lot. And then they did that so much that people just lost interest that they kind of put them on ice for. 10 or so years um and then they did the same thing again they're like different periods <laughs> we're getting into like a lot of weird shit so i'll kind of wrap it up but there are different periods uh and it's based on the periods that japan kind of like they, they they like have periods of like their history like this 50s to like 70s was called the showa period in japan it's like that's when like godzilla was really like i'm a friend of children we're gonna fight baddies then like the 80s to like 90s was the heisei period they kind of did the same thing over and over again. We're like, oh, that was popular then. Let's do this over and over and over. And then um, the 98 American Godzilla movie came out. Uh, they, they killed Godzilla in the 90s. Godzilla versus Destroyer. Then the 98 Godzilla movie came out in America. And they hated it so much that they're like, fuck it. We'll just make our own better Godzilla now. And they made like five movies after that called the Millennium Era. And then that leads us kind of to the American, the new American ones and where we are today. But yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go on. I, I 
said a lot of things. <laughs> well, no, that is like part of what I had read, but I saw this Reddit thread that was super interesting and kind of ties us back to this idea of like nationalism and the themes of war in this Godzilla, but um, someone had written how in Japan, like radiation creates monsters like Godzilla, and in America, radiation creates superheroes. So there's kind of this weird uh, divisive just view. So I'm very intrigued in just kind of like the sociology of like us as an audience watching it and just how Godzilla is represented to what we're all saying of this theme of like brotherhood and these men returning from war and this idea of like an independent group to stop Godzilla versus the government is super interesting. So I don't know, Alex, Karen thoughts. I know we just kind of spilled a bunch out there. I will say that's a really interesting um, like opposition between like what you said, like in that you said that you saw it in a Reddit post that in Japan radiation creates monsters in America. I'd never put two and two together. Like, like thought about the opposites of those. I liked his little pea head. <laughs> what? He had a little pea head. He had a giant body and his tiny little pea head. Because mm. he had Charlie, little eyes. Charlie's built like that. He had a tiny little pea head. He was like thick in the neck and body and definitely had a, had a dump truck of an ass. But he had a tiny little pea head, and I loved it. I just wanted to kiss it on its little forehead. I've heard people say that, but they usually say peanut head, and uh, I uh, I understand what you're saying. He's got he's, he's cute. He's got the rounder features, which is actually something that you see in various Godzilla eras. Is whether or not he's for children and how they feature him, like he's spikier in certain situations, rounder face in other ones, and that's because of the way that it appeals, or whether or not he's a villain. Nikki has a question. This takes us back, Alex, you and me, to clown culture and how rounded makeup is the origin of a good clown. And evil clowns started having more pointed makeup, and that's how you could tell a good clown versus an evil clown. Godzilla in this one is in, is a combination of good and evil clown. But I was going to say because Brad was talking about the different eras and how the the sort of the roller coaster. Being a fan of the series, I think, is like being a fan of pro wrestling, where it's the quality kind of stops mattering after a while because a lot of them are very similar and you're there for certain reasons and certain characters that you like. If Mothra's in it, I fucking love it. Mothra is my favorite Godzilla character. She is the real hero who should be the hero in all of them. And I hope if they do a sequel to this, Godzilla is still evil and Mothra is the hero. That's all I want. Um, But that's... uh, I don't remember where I was going with that. I was just trying to say that the uh, it's it's. I went into this movie, being knowing that I would be happy if there's a monster kicking a city down, and once that happens, you feel so bad because it's the first time. And it, the remake of the first one is so subtle and so perfect. Like there's a famous scene that a lot of people have probably seen: the still of Godzilla holding a train car in his mouth from 1954. And you get to see that from the inside of the fucking train car and this. And I was like, it's nerd bait, but in a way that's not annoying. It gives you things, even the oxygen destroyer in this, it's basically an oxygen destroyer, how they take out Godzilla in this one. But they don't just one-to-one it. They scientifically explain it, and it makes sense, and it's like fun to see how they have to work together to make it happen. So like the, this is... Without saying this is a Godzilla remake and just calling it Godzilla, they made 
one of my favorite remakes I've ever seen. How did I get from wrestling to this? Oh, good question. Well, I'm going to... This is just a mishmash. This is why we're called splatterbrains. We're just kind of jumping around. What does the minus one part mean of Godzilla minus one? I didn't even know that was the name of the movie until it rolled up on the screen. (laughs) Uh, No, I guess the explanation is that after the war, like like Japan was just like, not literally obliterated, but like obliterated. They were at zero. And then Godzilla attacks and takes them minus one. It's oh, it's I just wanted to unmute to go. Oh, Karen, you might be familiar with him now, but as a non-video game person, are you? Do you know who Hideo Kojima is? He's a, he's a game developer known for very weird science fictiony games that all have interesting mechanics. Metal Gear, Metal Gear is Solid, big solid, is his biggest series. Um, he made Death Stranding with Norman Reedus a few years ago, and his next game was announced last week at the Game Awards that he is doing a game with Jordan Peele, and I cannot fucking wait. That is a match made in heaven for me. It is going to be insanity. I saw that I saw that because I follow Monkey Pop Productions mm-hmm. on Instagram, and they posted the, the whole, like, announcement and stuff at the festival, and so I did know that that was happening because of Jordan Peele and my absolute hardcore obsession with that man. He is perfect. Okay. So the reason I bring it up is because Hideo Kojima tweeted about seeing Godzilla minus one, um, and it's and it's related to the title. And it's he's he's known for being a bizarre guy. His games are weird. Um, you kind of have to be on board with his weirdness to enjoy them. Death Stranding was a very divisive game. I, it doesn't matter. This is the tweet, and I will read it verbatim. Um, Saw Godzilla minus one in Road G at IMAX. Opened with a minus plus from the beginning. Then, Gojira on Otojima Island added to the positive. Started from losing the war, the plot was a plus. Plus the appearance of Hamabe-san. Plus the dorsal fin from the surface of the sea. Plus Godzilla landing. Plus VFX. Plus the Ifukubi song. Plus Shinden. Nothing but pluses. Plus the applause after the show. The result of Godzilla, Eternal Zero, Always Sunset on 3rd Street, uh, is Godzilla. Plus 120 points. They should change the title. I will watch it three more times at least. That is his very broken English way of saying it should be called Godzilla Plus, and I think that's hilarious. It's great. Speaking of Plus, do you guys want to hear all the scenes that I either teared up or cried? Yeah, let's do that. Then let's get into like very specific things that we want to talk about. And okay. gush. This is my quick list of all the times I wanted to cry. So the baby at the beginning of the movie grows into an adorable toddler. Uh, her name's Akiko. And after a scene, spoiler, where we uh, potentially lose Noriko, the woman who was part of the small familial mix, um, Kuichi is sitting with Akiko, and she is, is just standing there and hands him a drawing, a little portrait of the family, and it's like a very tender, like devastating, like quote-unquote father-daughter moment where we think this is where he's going to go and uh, sacrifice his life. That's moment one. Moment two I cried was when the group of men who had survived the war were talking about the plan to defeat Godzilla and the doctor, or Doc, I think they just called him Doc, right? The like, the scientist. Didn't they call him Doc? Yeah. Um, He was trying to get all of the men on board to like, 
yeah, so, like, we're pretty sure this is going to work, but, like, couldn't guarantee it, but would, like, love your help. NBD if you want to leave, but it would be really cool if you stayed. And, like, a couple of men were like, we have families, like, this ain't it. So a couple of them walk out, and then, like, one guy speaks up and is, I forgot what he said. He had a really, like, good one-liner about, like, we already survived the war, so... Something, something. But then all these men come together and they decide to still help, knowing that their lives are at risk again. Well, well number two. They don't shame the guys that leave. Yeah. That's, that's yes. where the movie sort of starts to yell in your face. We don't want you to die and you don't have to sacrifice yourself to be a hero. And that's what the movie keeps saying, which is really, really great. Yeah. So that's moment number two. Moment number three, when all the men are going for it, they're on the ships. And then there's a moment where Godzilla is getting his little blue nuclear power roar up and running and they all look at each other and it's the moment of like, shit, like we were, we really thought we had this and the worst case scenario is about to happen. That's the moment where I'm like, this is fucked. They're all gone. I love every single one of these men. I'm sad. And that moment four that makes me cry is when, uh, oh my God, when our hero has a good hero moment and then we find out the way his kamikaze plane was built by the uh one of the men from the island at the beginning who was a plane mechanic who was very upset with koichi because he survived and all the other men on the island didn't due to a thing that koichi did and he had built him a like safety eject button on his plane and koichi's like it it was just a very tender moment because koichi had been willing to risk his life and this man who had wanted him dead like many of the other uh people who had seen him after he survived um did this really nice gesture and said like "Ah," he said a really good one-liner about the future there's a lot of really good quotes about like wanting you to see the future and cried like a baby that's that's the scene I was going to bring up earlier was just that um, that was the moment where uh, it, it definitely like pulls a fast one on you, but that's OK. It does. It definitely feels like anything could have happened in that scene where he could have sacrificed himself. It it builds a lot of moments out of his guilt where you're like the only way for him to get escape this world is to end his life and do it in the favor of other people because he feels so guilty about what's happened during the war, what's happened with Godzilla, thinking that um, Noriko died uh, in the little uh, the first attack that Godzilla has on the main island or in the city. And um, then, yeah, finding out that the guy that hates him so much because he didn't sacrifice himself twice. Even though, had he shot the guns on the plane at the beginning, Godzilla wouldn't have died. We know that. We know that now. We knew that then. Um, Godzilla was going to live no matter what. Uh, But this guy still resented him for not trying, because he froze up in a moment where he thought he could shoot him. Uh, And then seeing him soften and tell him to live, and then you get to see that he ejected at the last minute, because he saves the day by flying his plane into Godzilla's atomic breath. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a stand up and go oh, a moment because you want him to live so badly. And the movie, like, gives that to you. And it's a very, very, like, softening moment of just being like, we could have been a real bummer of a movie and been like, you still learned the lesson, but you're sad. But they're like, no, you learned the lesson. We will reward you now. 
And they gave yeah. us Noriko's survival too, which I forgot also made me cry. So. I'm okay with it. Like it's not quite the kid at the end of the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds. Sorry, I missed the episode with all of you, but I'll never forget seeing that in theaters. That kid walking over the hill and going, "There's no way he lived." Um, where we don't see what happened to her, it's plausible to me that she lived. Yeah, that that moment that- was paid off so well, just because. Earlier in the movie, like we said, Noriko, we thought she was dead. And it was just Koichi and uh, Akiko. Is that it? And Akiko. And he ends up uh, giving her over to the neighbor um, who lost her kids in the bombings. Um, her name is Sumiko. Um, like, after, like, all the, I think the movie takes place over the course of like two, two and a half, three years or so. And in that time that like uh, Noriko and Koichi are raising Akiko, Sumiko, the neighbor, kind of warms up a little bit to him more. She like becomes like a surrogate mother figure for Akiko afterward. And so Koichi gives Akiko, a little girl, to the neighbor Sumiko. And like you're thinking like he's just like accepted that he's going to he's not going to come back. Like he's like, she's your daughter now. Take her. And there's a moment that like I, I, I was just. I was here with that moment. Like it made me so sad when he gave that, like I couldn't imagine like giving Marty to anyone and like knowing that I would never come back. And there's a moment during the, um, the plot where everybody's kind of going against Godzilla that it cuts back to Sumiko's home and she's getting a letter or a telegram from someone. I'm like, Noriko's alive. Please God, let Noriko be alive. Let it be from Noriko. And it was, and it was paid off. So, so great. And it just crushed me. It was so good. My brain couldn't figure out what that letter was about. And Tiff explained that to me after the movie. And I was like, I really wish I would have just known that in the moment because that would have made it even better. But I, my brain hadn't been like, oh, that's what the letter was. I initially just thought the letter was her realizing that he was going to sacrifice himself. But I was wrong. There was another moment like that where they kind of like hinted at something happening that would pay off later with your emotions when um, the... mechanic was showing Koichi the uh, plane. There was a part earlier on when they said like these, I think the, the plane that he was in was an experimental plane and they said they made it on the cheap and they didn't have ejector seats. And so when the mechanic was showing him all the, the mechanics, like here's the plunger to activate the bomb. And then like before the scene ended, he goes, oh, there's one more thing. So you kind of, if you were paying attention to this conversation, you kind of knew that there'd be an ejector seat in it. So you kind of, it was one of those moments where like, yes, these things are paying off and it just makes me feel good. Yeah. They didn't, they don't surprise you. That's cool. I didn't know that, that yeah. uh, they, um, what's the word for when you hinted something later foreshadow. foreshadow. There's a telegraph of the word I was looking for, but you're right. Yes. Foreshadowing. The, the very end was the best one liner that came out of the party behind me was when they walk into the hospital room and they see that she's alive, Noriko's still alive, the cute little kid just bursts out, so she didn't die? And it just the whole row, it was just the cutest thing. Like, everybody was like, yeah, she didn't die. And it just, how excited, like, that whole, they, it was awesome. It was just, it just kind of sweetened the whole experience of that movie for me. I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. Kudos to that whole crew. They were awesome. I want to hold on to this moment just because you reminded me. Did I talk about my movie-going experience of seeing the Mario movie the day it came out? 
No. I'm a, a avid Nintendo boy. It's something I've been made fun of by groups of friends before. I, I really love Mario games and Nintendo first party stuff. So I went to go see that fucking movie on day one. I have the it's yeah, it's too much stuff in it, but I have the popcorn book. It's shaped like the question block next to me right now. The movie's not very good, but the soundtrack is amazing, and somehow it ended up on my top five artists on Spotify this year. It was me listening to the goddamn Mario <laughs> movie soundtrack. It's like Ramon's bands and then the fucking Mario movie soundtrack. Well, anyway, if you haven't seen it, there's a scene where they all get into carts and they clearly are going somewhere. And the the it's a kids movie, so the theater was filled with kids. And uh, as soon as they like jump over a cliff and you realize what's about to happen, the kid said it before the movie did. And I just hear a little voice go, Rainbow Road. <laughs> it was exciting. <laughs> that was the one time kids in theaters made it way better. Like that, that made was Brad. Yeah. Yeah, behind you. <laughs> Wayne Bowode. I used to not be able to pronounce my R's when I was a kid, so my older sister still calls me Blad. That's so I, wholesome. I'd be lying if I didn't say that I talk to the dogs and Tiff that way 98% of the time when it's just us two, which is most of the time. <laughs> Do you ever oh slip up in public? Like we're at the horror con last year and you're like, oh Tiff, I want a boy from the whole is- con. It's it's more than that. It's not that specific voice, but it's definitely subtleties like that, or just like the many nicknames that I have periodically called her, and then I'll call her that in front of people, and I'll be like, oh, shit. But other than that... Tiff, can I get the Wakatio postal? I didn't even ask. She got it for me, so... <laughs> Great. I love you, Tiff. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffy, if, if you were really paying attention, you know I would end that. I love you, Tiff. So come on. Mm. I love you, Tiff. That's Do better. We, uh... Sorry, I want to circle back a bit um, to the very end of the movie uh, because you talked about potential for a sequel. So there are two things that they kind of hinted at that could be happening. One, Noriko might be sick. You guys see that at the end? Um, she had like a little growth on her neck. So we'll see if that is resolved. And the second one, obviously, is Godzilla's body is reforming after being blown to bits. Um, I'm curious about a potential sequel. Godzilla's powers in this are so crazy that he just regrows like the T-1000. Just like yeah. liquid metal, just bio. It's cool. Yeah. His atomic breath caused a nuclear explosion. That was sick. Terrifying, but sick. Um, so I'd be curious about what a sequel would entail. Like, if they would bring back the same cast. If they'd introduce, like, Alex, like you are saying, like, a, you, would, you would want Mothra. Like, if they would introduce another uh, monster at all. I don't think that i really need a sequel to this at all in any way shape or form i think it is great as a standalone movie but i'll i hope they make me eat my words and i hope they don't just do the same thing they've always done which is turn godzilla into a good guy in the next one give us king Ghidorah or rodan or you know anybody else just yeah it's just i love mafia so it's cool isn't the next american Godzilla and like the monster universe isn't that coming out next year? It's like uh, yeah, it's another Godzilla like versus May. it's a sequel to to Godzilla versus Kong. Godzilla X Kong, the yeah. new empire. Yeah, and this uh, monarch is on uh, Apple Plus right now, which is the TV show set yes. in that universe. I've only seen the first yeah. episode. I'm gonna like directly quote like the subreddit, and like this is not like me saying anything new, but like. Godzilla fans are fucking feasting right now. Like, you got the Monsterverse movies, even though Godzilla 2014 started off, like, 
pretty serious and kind of somber, but it was still a cool monster action. The American movies, the MonsterVerse, have become like silly Showa, like big monster beat each other up movies, which is totally fine. Uh, and they're enjoyable. And Godzilla v Kong uh, from a couple years ago, like saved cinema somehow because it made like so much money to, like during COVID. Um, oh, that's one where Kong takes a sexy little bath in a lake and has you see his big Kong butt on the screen. And I yeah, was like, hello. We're getting like a lot of like different sort of Godzilla things going on right now. Like the American ones are like the silly big monster fight. Japan obviously just gave us two in a row, actually, the Shin Godzilla, um, like very serious, dark, gritty Godzilla movies. Um, and then also like it's the 50 it's past few years have been like 50th anniversary of different monsters and they've done like 10 minute shorts with like either cgi or they've been actually done guys in suits for like the 50th anniversary of like jet jaguar which was fucking awesome so there's a lot of cool godzilla shit happening right now and it makes me very excited the little 70 at the beginning of this movie was so cool where i was like does that math add up i was like holy shit it does and it's crazy to me that the original godzilla came out less than a decade after world war ii ended and we're still yeah. talking about it. Yeah, 54. What is... So I believe my only... I think the first Godzilla movie I've ever seen was Godzilla 1998, which is laughable. But I also probably saw it like in that year when I was like five or six. So, um, And then I think beyond that, I saw the Godzilla vs. Kong movie and then Godzilla King of the Monsters. So I think I've only really seen the more recent ones. What, like, what are top two or top three, like, all-time Godzillas curated for me that I should watch? Watch Knowing that I, the original. Watch the original. Make sure it is not Godzilla King of the Monsters, the Americanized one, where they just interspersed an American actor to try and give us a, a, a white plot to follow along with. Just Godzilla 1954. Just... The original holds up, is very good. Um, it's not as schlocky as the rest of them. It takes itself very seriously in a way that is endearing. And the composite shots and the um, uh, like the the monster doesn't look that bad. I think it's pretty cool in the stop motion and things. It looks pretty good. It's dark and it's got a lot of atmosphere. It's not silly. It's just good. Apart from that, uh, three I would recommend is one you actually you named uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah. That one's good. Um, it's a little different. It's like Godzilla's a villain in it, and like King Ghidorah, who's usually a villain, is kind of one of the good guys um, that has to stop Godzilla. Uh, but it's it's pretty dark. Um, has a little bit of like some scary elements. Godzilla's face looks terrifying in it. Uh, another good one is actually the last one of the Heisei periods, so like the eighties to nineties called Godzilla versus Destroya and it, the plot is that like a monster is born from like the radiation from the oxygen destroyer which originally killed Godzilla so it like kind of like, wraps it around together um, I shared an image of Godzilla from that movie in our our chat and then the other th- the third one I'd recommend is Godzilla versus Biollante which is also in the Heisei period it's a very um like sort of like sad one uh, it's like this doctor the scientist like fuses his daughter with like a plant to save her life and she becomes a monster and it's about like her spirit kind of living on it's sad and it's like a two monsters fighting but it's it's a good one so i want is a very cool design 
Yeah, it has like two designs. The one looks very like flower like, and then one is more Godzilla like because it has like Godzilla cells. That one's hard to find, but uh, weird, weirdness. Yeah, if you also, find it streaming somewhere like a pirate, you can watch it. In my Rise Darby fashion, I did pronounce King Ghidorah as King Jidora, which was very was close to saying King Jardinera, which takes us back to Giardia. <laughs> Flutterbrain's throwback. King Jardinera. Uh, yeah. The Godzilla vs. Mothra 1964 is one of, is probably my favorite that I've seen because I haven't seen them all, uh, and it's there's a lot to unpack there. There's definitely a brown face scene. They go to an island where Mothra lives and she protects everybody, and it's all Japanese actors, but they're all dressed in like they have like tribal makeup on. So warning about that from the 60s if you're going to watch it. Um, but if you can get past that, they are protected by these tiny women. They're like four inches tall. Um, and they were a Japanese female vocal group called the Peanuts. And they have a Mothra theme, and it, I fucking love it. Uh, it's so cool. They sing. And they sing, and they show up in offices. It is insane. Um, a four, like four-inch tall little women that save yes. lives and sing music, and they're called the Peanuts? Yes. They say they're basically the keepers of Mothra, and they know um, about, like, how to, how, by how she protects them, etc., and they, they tell all of the government folk, like, what they should be doing to deal with this situation, and it's, uh, it's a very good time. And they show up in multiple, and Mothra's theme that they sing to her shows up in multiple movies, and um, if you know the band The Five, Six, Seven, Eights, uh, my brother brought this to my attention last year. They cover her theme, and it's awesome. Yeah, they were, that nice. they were uh, the band in Kill Bill. Ooh, 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 ooh. That's five, six, seven, eights. I need you to go yeah. up an octave on that. <laughs> Give me a new voice. Apart from uh, the original, the uh, like the Showa area, Showa era Godzilla. I love the best is the original Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Uh, the design of the first Mechagodzilla is like very like retro futuristic and it's very cool, like very much what people in the 60s thought the future would look like. Um, lots of like rivets and plates and just like little lights and stuff. And then uh, they introduce a monster called King Caesar that is a uh, very cool too. So write all these down, Nikki. You got some homework. I am. I just Googled Mothra Godzilla and I accidentally stumbled upon a lot of like cartoon like fan fiction of them as like lovers so i'll paste some of my favorites in the chat here but very interesting do they have a romantic relationship in any of these movies there are a couple scenes and let me tell you they show it show godzilla's his breath isn't the only thing that's atomic is what i'm saying (laughs) You know, we had to have at least one of those moments in this episode. Anything else you want to say about Godzilla minus one before we uh, slip into debauchery? Go, go, Godzilla. Go, go, Godzilla. (laughs) I will just say, I know we've talked a lot about just like foreign horror film in general. And I know that Godzilla is an action thriller, but this really has kind of like reintroduced my love for just non-american made movies and like making a point to go see them in theaters and i'm really excited to see the new miyazaki film this week um and it did really warm my heart karen that there was a group of kids that was like really respectful and happy to see this movie because it's i mean it's a two hour you're reading for two hours and that's a long time for me (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, I was, and they weren't the only kids there. There was another group of kids a little bit farther back, but that theater was silent. Like, it was honestly impressive. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I had adults that look like me, but, you know, have the sort of uh, neck beard thing going on, sitting a couple down from me, and I'm sad to report that I did not have that experience. When the sound drops out, when he's doing his atomic breath right before our main character saves the day, and it's just completely silent, some dude burped like nobody's business, and he was like, like giggling. They they shut it down pretty fast, so I'm not mad about it. But it was definitely an accident, and it's just like it got quiet, and all of a sudden I heard like two down from me. <laughs> but it's okay because we got our riveting moment of him saving the day. We see the ejector seat, and I was like, whatever, I don't care about any of this. Brad was at your movie again. Insane. Yeah, I was trying to. Uh tie it back to the Mario movie. I was gonna yell Wainbow Woad when he was uh, doing the atomic breath, but a, a burp came out on accident. I'm gonna give you guys the one complaint that I had about seeing this movie, and that was the literal 40 minutes of previews and yeah. commercials Every... I had to sit through at the fucking Regal. If I could I was... go back in time, I don't know how his AMC's around here. If I could go back in time... I would kill baby Nicole Kidman. Yeah, they need to like get rid of that. I've been meaning to say that for like the past like five movies we've seen. They need. I see. I go to AMC because it's the closest theater near me, and like they need to stop. It's, it was like a right. welcome back to movie theaters from COVID thing, and they're still fucking doing it. They're Sorry. still doing it. Thankfully, I didn't sit through that, but I did have to sit through six Coca Cola commercials. That we're only actually two different commercials. So I actually sat through the same commercial like four times. Yeah, it's, it's gotten out of control. Moving I, to start they, until almost an I hour legitimately, after, I, I like, I like looked at my watch and it was 12 and the movie's start time, the show time was 1210. And I looked at my watch and it was 1240 when the movie actually started. And I, there was like, I don't know. It was probably like 1235, I would say. But like a preview rolled on and I was just like, I literally was just like, get the fucking movie. And I didn't want to say it too loudly because obviously there were children sitting behind me, but I was so frustrated. I had eaten half my popcorn. I was like, it's been 45 fucking minutes. I've been sitting here. This movie hasn't even started yet. God damn it. I will say in most of the movies I've seen in the past like couple of years, there have been like more than a couple people like huffing when like there's another trailer going on but i will defend the coca-cola things though karen but because we need that all of us it's my nicole kidman for you brad would like to buy the world of coke i just wrote that it's copyrighted to me and no one else you're gonna make some big bucks off that one my friend thank you who would like to play a quick little game of Horror Trivial Pursuit. Just Brad. Just Brad. Just Brad. Only Brad. It's trivia time. Brad, you're first. Yeah. Yeah. See? Nope. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Brad. Yeah. Who, who directed The Devil's Backbone 2001? Mr. Bean. Torres. I don't know. That's right. Karen is right. Brad, what, who is lose. It? Guillermo, Guillermo del, Toro. del Toro. Fuck, I thought it was Mr. You'll, Bean, dude. You'll never guess. There's little kid ghosts in it. It's pretty good. Yeah. It Wainbow Woad. Wainbow Woad. 
This is a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Alex. In Jeepers Creepers 2001, what character insists on returning to the dilapidated dilapidated church? Trish or Derry? Uh, Derry. Yeah, because Justin Long, there's a meme like Justin Long can't catch a break in horror movies, but he makes bad decisions. I thought, yeah, what a weird movie. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Karen. In the final yeah. scene... Of the Cabin in the Woods, 2012. What appendage of one of the evil gods emerges from the floor of the temple? It's not his penis. A hand. A hand. I know it's not his penis. It's his hand. Correct. The giant so just, hand. just the stoner going, I think we've had a good run and a big dick. Just bam. Well, it's like, um, uh, and this is the end. The... James Franco, Seth Rogen, and then, like, the devil comes up and has just this, like, swinging fire dick. <laughs> Poof. I, I, remember, that I, I remember that. Uh, I... Nikki, I got a card for you here. Um, okay. Oh, no. How does the Godzilla theme go? <laughs> I have to pick my pitch. Dun 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 dun. It's hard to not go into the pheromones. Dun 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 dun. That's what you were gonna start doing. I was like, go ahead. It's so hard not to. That was. I mean, how cool was that moment when we first get that during the train scene? We first get the Godzilla theme. Oh. Shivers. I like that they use the that that's from the original movie, and they use uh, multiple themes from that movie in a lot of the movies. Shin Godzilla used it too, even when they're working. That thing, Brad, come on, harmonize with me. I have a, I got a um Godzilla um. Squishmallow for Marty, and it's like when I'm like sitting and playing with him, I'll like randomly pull out all the toy box, go dun, 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 and like walk it to him. He really likes it. It's kind of like it's crazy that like Marty had no choice but to be a Godzilla fan. Like, th- there's no yeah. choice. It's parents with Spider Man. Their kids in like uh like punk rock band shirts, it's like the yeah. baby in a Dead Kennedy shirt. It's funny you say that because I just ordered him two shirts. Uh, one says punk rock or punk music and Miss Rachel, and the other says, uh, "I guess this is growing up." Okay, so forgive God. me for not initially understanding it. what's Miss Rachel. It's like a ba- she was like a teacher and like she became like a YouTuber for like teaching babies how to speak and stuff like that, and she sings music uh, and stuff like that. That's funny. It's very wholesome. Okay. It's actually like one of the few like baby shows that, like doctors recommend because she has like close-ups on mouth like how to pronounce different sounds and stuff because she was like a, a speech therapist so man i can't wait to find out that your baby started talking at like six months old but like full speech he's crawling yeah just full on like hello father how's your day yes but it's a baby like stewie yeah. he's just gonna be stewie hello daddy <laughs> God, I hope he never says that to me like that. <laughs> Hello, Daddy. <laughs> All right, you got another card for us or what? Yeah, I do. 
All right, Brad, let's make a comeback. In what 2013 film does one of the killers wear a lamb mask? You're next. No, you're next. Yeah, that's correct. Alex, who was Marvel Comics living vampire? It's Morbin time. Mighty Morbin time. That's right. Dr. Michael Morbius, whose experimental cure turned him into a pseudo vampire. <laughs> I appreciate that that probably came out before the Sony movie came out, and that's just a vampire question. <laughs> My favorite thing about Morbius is how the internet tricked Sony into re putting it out into theaters. Yeah. Where so it bombed funny. harder than it did the first time. Sometimes the internet does good. It's still going. Yeah, that, that really happened? happened? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Oh, that really happened. They haven't learned anything from it. They're making that god-awful-looking Madam Web movie, god-awful-looking Craven movie. That Craven movie is, uh, as a character in general, it's hard to take seriously shirtless animal skin man. I think Did you ever cool. read uh, Craven's cool. Last Hunt? No, I haven't, but I, I think he is a cool character. Good. He shows up in the Daredevil run I've been reading. All right, everybody, you guys can go. Brad and I are going to keep talking. <laughs> uh, but... But uh, the movie is a hard sell, and they did not do a good job doing that. And they also threw the rhino in it and are going to ruin the rhino again. Like, it, just let like the Marvel you, Spider-Man movies have good villains. Are you trying to say that Paul Giamatti wasn't the perfect rhino, Brad? Yeah, and I'm sick of pretending like I'm not. Um, these questions are all so bad. But... I will try for one for you, Karen, anyway. Okay, how about how about this card? What, what? Oh, this why is this a question? How do the blind aliens find their prey in a quiet place? Echo location. Sound, sure. It sound you stupid. <laughs> they don't echo, they sound. That's not a With sailboat. Little rods. It's a schooner. Rainbow world. Uh, yeah, I don't like any of these. Goddamn kids on the escalator again. <laughs> okay, I think that's I think that's a, a good amount. Does anyone want one more? Yeah, ask me oh. a stupid one. Alex, no, this is actually a good one for you. In the remake of Suspiria 2018, uh, we might have played this this card, Brad. Which of the three mothers does Susie become? I got this one right. Oh, I have, I have no idea. I don't know the names of the three mothers. Marisa. Mother Suspiriorum. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that, that seems like it was an obvious answer, but I don't remember the names of them in either film. I only know it because Radio ha- or Tom York made a film for Suspiria called Suspiriorum. So I was like, that must be the name of the big wig. All right, so... You've gone so many years calling me pretentious, and you just name dropped Tom York made a short film for this movie he made a soundtrack for. A movie? I said a song. All right. He did make the soundtrack, though. I don't oh, know okay. that. Pretentious. That's right. <laughs> but I'm a witch. I'm a weirdo. Oh, you're going to make me cry because I picture a baby raccoon now. Oh, yeah. Hi. Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Back to comic books, baby. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, Nikki, it's gonna make you cry a lot. It will make you. I sobbed through the last forty-five minutes of that film. I, I... It crushed my soul. It made me feel very. How do you feel about animal testing and vivisection? Because they show it. 
Joel. How do you feel about Florence and the machine? Uh, is that a hot take? It's not no. supposed to no. be. Um, Nikki, I've got another uh, card here for you specifically. Where can you find us on the internet? Exactly. How'd you know? You want to answer it? Well, Alex did say it at the beginning, but for those still listening... This card actually says, who cares if Alex said it at the beginning? (laughs) I care. That's the answer. Splatterbrains podcast on Instagram. Look up Splatterbrains on Facebook. Type Splatterbrains podcast into a podcast listening search engine of your choice. Brainsplatter at gmail.com. That is our email address, and stick around for next week where we talk about our favorite and least favorite films of the year, unlike other podcasts. Spoiler, we'll talk about Godzilla again from Alex. (laughs) I thought you were going to say where we talk about our feelings. We're going to talk about our feelings again. And on that note, feelings fart. (laughs) Wherever you step, wherever I step, wherever I step, wherever you step. Wherever you step, wherever.